Good morning to everybody, especially those of you online. Probably your car didn't start. It was so cold outside, you know. Up north, that was always a joke, you know. Oh, a car couldn't start and so forth. But, uh, uh, you know, it was, it's a cold one out there this morning. But uh, thankful I live in Florida. Praise the Lord. A lot of us came from up north where in the middle of winter, you'd be happy to have a day that was in the 40s and 50s, wouldn't you? Yes. So you're going to be turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1 as we begin our new series going verse by verse through this incredible book, Daniel. Our series is called Courageous Character, and you're going to see Daniel's character throughout this book, but it's really the character of God and the providence of God, his sovereignty. You're going to see God's character as well. I titled the message for today as we go through chapter 1, Protected in an ungodly culture. How many of you know we live in an ungodly culture, right? And if you've been around very long, you know it seems to be getting more ungodly as the time goes on. But how can we have victory? How can we thrive and be protected by God in an ungodly culture? Well, that's what what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to be sharing some principles just from what we read in this. But before we get into chapter 1, let me just share some background. Daniel was written by Daniel. He was, a, he was um, really kind of like taken hostage from Israel into Babylon. They besieged it. They'd taken some of the brightest, youngest guys uh, from the nobility, from the uh, rulers, and they'd taken them to Babylon. Daniel was called a prophet in the book of uh, Hebrews. He, he, uh, uh, Jesus uh, acknowledged that he wrote the book of Daniel. It's very prophetic, has a lot of prophecies in it. Many of them were so specific and they've already been fulfilled that critics of this book, they say there's no way Daniel could have written it because it's, it's too specific and they've been fulfilled. Well, we know God, has, he knows the future, right? And so there's no problem for God. But Daniel would have been writing this somewhere about six centuries before Christ. What we're going to begin with is about 605 B.C., and then it's going to last about 70 years in his life. So uh, it's also a very practical book with a lot of great wisdom for us in, in, in uh, living in an ungodly culture. Now, I want to share, before we even start, um, you're, going to, you're going to see in Daniel a lot of trials. Trials of Daniel, trials of his friends. And I was thinking about it related to us. God doesn't keep us from the trials, does he? Oftentimes, we go through trials. Now, sometimes we may get to heaven someday and find out he does keep us from some. But oftentimes, we will go through trials. But here's the lesson you're going to see. God doesn't always keep us from the trials, but he wants to get in the trial with us and help us through it. That's what you're going to see with Daniel. When he went into the lion's den. When the three Hebrew guys went into the fire, they, they, the Lord was right there in the trial. He didn't, they didn't, God didn't prevent them from ever going into it. And I think all of us can, sometimes we go through a trial and we can be like, God, what's the matter? Did you for, have you forgotten me? What's the matter? Am I being punished? God, why am I going through this terrible situation? Instead, God's saying, just trust me. I'm right here. I want to walk through this with you. I think of Psalm 23. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So you're going to see God walking with Daniel and his friends through this book. 
Also, I was thinking about this related to the ungodly culture. I was thinking of Jesus' prayer for his disciples. Look in John 17. I just took a little part of this prayer. He's praying to the Father, and Jesus says this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He's talking about the world culture, that ungodly culture. Not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify, which means set apart. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. See, what Jesus is praying here is, uh, don't be of the world. The world should not be in us. It should not be a part of us. Even though we are in the world, don't have the world in us. Be set apart. And how are we going to be set apart? By his word. So here's the thing. You see that question at the bottom there? How can we be in the world but not have the world in us? We're going to see some principles today from Daniel. So let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year, a king of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, some of your versions might say Shinar, it's the same place, Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So we see two kings mentioned here, the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, and the king of Babylon, which we know as Nebuchadnezzar. When I was thinking about the word king, I was thinking about, I heard about a king that was only 12 inches tall. Yeah, 12-inch king. They said he was not a very good king, but he, but he made a good ruler. <laughs> well, I even get some claps. Well, I got more. You know, in the United States, we really don't have kings here, do we? But some of us like to go to Burger King, right? Burger King. But I heard somebody was trying to have a better restaurant than Burger King, better burgers and so forth. So they, they wanted theirs to be called Burger God. And their slogan was going to be, have it Yahweh. <laughs> That's all you get. So the kings, King Jehoiakim, King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's go to verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Who did? Now, isn't that a little strange, that God would, would deliver a, a king from Israel, from Judah, into an ungodly king of Babylon? Well, let's look at it again. Verse 2, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into, the hand, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. One of the things you see here is that oftentimes God will allow ungodly leaders to bring judgment on his people. Sometimes we might wonder, why so-and-so is our leader? Why, why is this happening? Sometimes it might be his will, but for the reason you might not think it is. Because sometimes God will allow certain things to happen in our lives to bring judgment because our nation, because of, of different things that may be happening where we're moving further away from God. So here, we have to make sure, first of all, are we seeking God? Do we keep Jesus first? Judah had moved away from God. This king, Jehoiakim, here's how bad he was. You could read about this in Jeremiah chapter 25. 
There was the prophet Jeremiah, and he prophesied to, the, to Judah and says, if you guys don't turn your hearts back to God, you've gotten involved in idolatry. If you don't turn back, the Babylonians are going to come and overtake you. And Jehoiakim, he read this on a scroll. You know, it was like the word of God on a scroll. You know what Jehoiakim did? He burned it. He burned the word of God saying, this isn't going to happen. Let me tell you, God has a final say, doesn't he? Out of his great love, he warns us before he brings judgment. I believe there's a lot of warnings going on in the world around us right now. The big thing is, do we heed the warnings? Do we ignore them? Unfortunately, a lot of people dismiss them. They ignore them. Same thing happened back then. And so God allowed judgment to come. They were overtaken by the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians had all kinds of gods. And they were, like, really proud of their gods. And so by them taking over Judah, they were kind of like saying, you know, our God's better than your God. We've taken some of your articles from your temple, and we put them in ours. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years, and after that they would enter the king's service. So what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He took some of the brightest. He took the cream of the crop from Judah, from some of these rulers' homes. He took their young boys, probably in the ages of about 14, 15 to 17 years of age. And says, we're going to take these from the, the uh, royal line, and we're going to train them in the ways of Babylon. We are going to make them Babylonians. Now, some people think that maybe he took some of these from these leaders because some of these leaders stayed in place, although they were now puppets of, of Babylon, but that would keep them from revolting against Babylon because they would know that their, some of their sons were in the um, government. They were helping in Babylon, and it was almost kind of like an insurance policy against them uh, revolting against Babylon. There's also this thing about the wine and the food. What, what was the king doing? Was the king like so benevolent, like, oh, I'm taking these people hostage, but we want to treat them so nicely. You get the king's food, you get his wine. You think that's what the king was doing? I somehow I don't think so. You know, these were ruthless leaders. What he was trying to do is was he was trying to indoctrinate the youth have them become and thinking more like Babylon so they wouldn't want to go back to Judah. So they would actually help in the cause of saying, hey, I, Babylon is so much better than Judah where I came from. Look at what we get to eat. Look what we get to drink, what we get to do. See, the world is like that, isn't it? It can become very enticing. The world wants to pull our, our youth today into it. Offering them all kinds of things like, you know, you Christians, you know, you don't want to be Christian. You don't want to, you have a bunch of this and that. You can't do this. Oh, we have all the fun on our side. Come be a part of the world system. It's no different today, the ungodly culture that we're in. 
You know, I think what, what uh, they were doing is really buying their influence. It's very much like what people can do today. Like lobbyists, they buy influence with politicians. Uh, I spent 20 years in the corporate world, and well, I was a part of it. We would take our largest customers on fishing trips and golf retreats and cruises, and we did that to buy influence with those large customers. And we had vendors that were doing it with us. And we couldn't say no to the vendors doing it with us because we were doing it already with our customers. You don't think that that doesn't make a difference in how people spend their money and doing business? It does. Now, some companies have outlawed it. They don't, they don't do it. It's against policy and so forth because you don't always make the best decisions when you have that stuff going on. But Babylon, they were trying to buy this influence with these young guys. Verse 6. Among those who were chosen uh, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, there's probably others. We don't know how many others. But name these because of they stood out from doing the right stuff. Verse 7, the chief official gave them new names. Oh, now we see more of the indoctrination. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Or as I learned them as a kid, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. <laughs> I'm sure you learned little things like that too. But it's interesting because what you see here is the Babylonian culture now, representing the ungodly culture, wanting to give them a new identity. Look on the screen at what their names meant, their previous names, and what they're being reassigned as new names. Daniel, his name means God is my judge. But now it's changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, that was one of their gods. God, Bel, protect the king. Hananiah, his name meant the Lord is gracious, but it was chained to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku. Aku was their god of the sun and the moon. Mishael meant who is like God. You know, we could say no one's like God. Who is like God? But look what they changed it to. Mishael, which is who is like Aku. And Azariah, his name meant the Lord is my help. His name was changed to Bendigo. Servant of Nego, another one of their gods. Do you see how these guys all had, like, let's say, biblical, God-fearing names? Their identity was in the Lord, and now all of a sudden, they changed them to their gods? So here's our first thing. I, I said there's five of them. If we're going to be in an ungodly culture, we need to make, make sure, number one, that we receive our identity in Christ. Don't allow the world to define it. Do we see that happening with young people today? Yes. Identities. They're confused in their identity. You think about it. We, as Christians, know we are created in the image of God, right? What does the world say? You're just a higher form on the evolutionary uh, 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 chart. That you're just more evolved from the monkeys and the apes. You know what that means? When you see a lot of times young people doing things, they're acting like animals because that's what they're taught. You know, we were created in the image of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. He's adopted us into his family. He has a purpose and a plan for us. But the world, they want to change that identity. So we have to be really careful that we don't fall into that. And some of you are saying, you know, you don't know my past. 
And I may not know your past, but really we all have a past. Maybe there's things that were done to you and you feel like you were damaged goods. Or maybe there's things that you did and you feel like, oh, I can never be used by God because of things that I've done. See, don't let the enemy hold you back. See, that's the enemy controlling your identity, making you feel like you're unworthy. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. That's the enemy. Know who you are in Christ. Don't let the world define your identity. Amen? Well, let's keep going. Number eight, or verse eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Verse eight is a real key to seeing Daniel and who he was as a character. First of all, he resolved. He determined in his heart, I'm not going to disobey God. I'm not going to defile myself. Uh, That word defile in the original language meant to pollute or stain. And when he was referring to, uh, he's resolved in his heart not to defile himself, was because he knew the scriptures related to what he could eat and not eat. First of here's three problems that he had with that food, the king's wine and his, and his delicacies, his food. First of all, it would not have been kosher. There probably would have been pork chops and thing, things that they didn't eat. It could have been prepared in ways that were not kosher. Second of all, those foods in those pagan nations, they would sacrifice and dedicate their food to their pagan gods. So they would have been like, I don't want to eat that. That's been sacrificed to their, to their gods. And third thing, he knew the power of what they were trying to do by, by the, you enjoying the food, enjoying the wine. Pretty soon you're going to become one of us, that indoctrination. And he resisted that. But look what he does. He asked for permission not to defile himself. He made it clear with this uh, royal official, this uh, person that was over him, this, that it was related to his spiritual beliefs. I don't want to defile myself spiritually. Now, how did Daniel know this? I really believe this is a great parenting principle that you don't see the parents in the story. Let's say Daniel's about 15 years of age. He must have really received some great training from his parents back in Judah. And this would have been contrary to even what was going on. Remember, Judah at the time was moving into paganism. They were involved in idolatry. That's why the judgment came upon them. But his parents must have been godly. They must have been instilling great values in Daniel because he came, he was taken away from his parents, taken away from his land, and now he is still resolving himself that I don't want to sin. I don't want to defile myself. So this is an important principle for all of us as parents, as grandparents. See, today, many parents are more concerned about their kids making good grades and making the team than making the kingdom of God. That should not be, especially in the church. We have to prioritize discipleship with our kids. So this brings us to our second point. Parents, we have a vital role in discipling children to follow Jesus. We have to make sure that our Children are in the kingdom of God and that we are discipling them because someday they're not going to be under our roof. They're going to be on their own. How are our kids going to do when they're no longer under our influence? 
This is what's so important. Because I've been counseling parents for so long, over 20 years, and we've raised our kids, and I've seen so many things in, in those years, I, I have discovered, I believe that there's three different types of homes. Now, this is a t- chance for you to see where your home is at, especially if you have kids in the home. First one is a parent-centered home. This is where the parents are, they're barking orders to the kids. They're all, you know, it's almost like the kids are there for them. They're always like ordering them around. They're frustrated with the kids. And they're like, everything revolves around the parent, what the parent wants. Okay? But then there's another type. It's child-centered. And it's all about what does a child want? You've been in the store when these, these children act up. I want this. I want it. You can just see the child is in control. It's a child-centered home. Parents aren't in control. The child is. But what does God want for us? He wants a Christ-centered home. You know, as you think about our, our vision for this year, Jesus first. We want Jesus first in our homes. Now, having raised three kids, I can tell you, we did a lot of, especially me. I won't pick on Barbie here. She can speak for herself. But I made a lot of mistakes, Okay. I would lose my cool, I'd lose my, I'd get angry. So one of the things I modeled for our kids was saying, I'm sorry, please forgive daddy. Because I, I blew it a lot of times. I had, to, I had to go to them. I had to repent. But there were some things that we did right. And I'm just going to share how we tried to, and today we have, our kids are all in their 30s, they're all following Christ, or even raising their kids to follow Christ, doing what we're talking about. But here's some of the things that we did in trying to keep a Christ-centered home. First of all, church was never optional for our kids. We prioritized that. That was important. You know, school wasn't optional. Youth group wasn't optional. We made sure our kids found those times where we were being, they were being poured into spiritually by our youth pastors, our youth leaders. Second of all, we had family devotions. We would come around together in the living room, and we have our Bibles out, and we're praying, and we're going through the Word of God. This week right now, we have for eight days our grandkids, our, our two oldest grandkids. What are we doing? We're doing devotions. We're doing prayer with them. We're having a Christ-centered grandparent home, and you can do the same thing. We talk about the things of God. They were here for several of the prayer services this week. You know, they're in, actually in kids' ministry two times this morning. <laughs> but, you know, there was other things, too. We taught our kids to serve. They served here in the church in different areas. And we had our kids go on mission trips. We wanted them to experience other cultures, to see what the world is like, and to serve God in other cultures. And we made a very important decision not to go with them on those mission trips. We wanted them to develop their spiritual experiences that were not connected to mom and dad. See, sometimes teenagers, all their experiences are related to mom and dad. And what happens? They move away from mom and dad. And they disconnect completely from their Christian values and Christian faith. They need to develop that on their own. But here's probably the most important thing that Barbara and I tried to do. Again, we weren't perfect in it. But we tried to be the same way at home as we were in church. In other words, we were living for God at home as well as we were living for God in in church in front of people that knew us as Christians. And that means that when you make mistakes, you admit it, and you show how, to, how you can fail and, and so forth. So having a Christ-centered home is so important. must have happened with Daniel because you see some great qualities in Daniel without his mom and dad being there. Verse 9, now God caused, who caused? 
God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Remember, I told you you're going to see the sovereignty of God woven through this whole book. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? Then the king would have my head because of you. Well, one of the things that we can do is as we live in an ungodly culture is we can ask God for his favor, can't we? Some of you are in a workplace where there's a lot of ungodliness in the workplace. Can you believe God for favor? Can you trust him for that? And I found this verse, I think it's such a great verse that, that gives us a promise. It says in Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So God can give us favor. By the way, I've already been accused the graphic of the little lion has nothing to do with the Detroit Lions, okay? Some of you are big fans out there. I know they're playing today, but uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next verse, Psalm 118. I believe this is the type of principle, and Daniel would have known these because of the word of God. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. I may agree with that. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. In other words, from government officials. It's better to trust the Lord than our government and other humans. What do we want to do? If we're going to be an ungodly culture, what are we going to do? We're going to trust the Lord. We're going to believe that he can give us favor. Now, verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. So Daniel must have got a direction from God. Like, okay, let's do this little test. They can see that we will still be strong. We won't look like we're puny and, and malnutritioned and so forth by eating a vegetarian diet. So here's number three. Number three is this. Let our desires please the Lord. Remember, Daniel knew he didn't want to defile himself with the king's food. He didn't want food that had been sacrificed to idols. He didn't want the non-kosher food that he knew was against the, the scriptures that he had been raised on. So he let his desires please the Lord. See, this was not a matter of choosing, let's say, McDonald's instead of Charthouse. This was a matter of choosing whether to, to uh, obey God or not to obey God. And likely there were a lot of other probably guys that they were taken from Judah who gave in. We never read anything about them because they didn't amount to anything. They fit in. They they've, uh, didn't stand out in their culture. Uh, Moses went through the exact same thing. Look what it says in Hebrews 11 about Moses. It says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember, that's because he was a Hebrew. Remember, he had been hidden in a basket. He was taken by Pharaoh's daughter. So he refused to be known by Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Is that how you and I think? Are we willing to forsake some of the pleasures, some of the things that we know is not pleasing to God because we are looking at, we're willing to suffer for the, for the sake of Christ? We're looking ahead to that reward, that reward of hearing those words in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. See, sin is pleasurable, isn't it? Otherwise, it wouldn't be tempting. But there's a time where we say no to those sinful desires. We say no to those temptations. The Holy Spirit's in us to help us as a Christ follower. And he wants us to be able to put God first, to please him. That's what what Daniel and these three guys were doing. So let's keep going. Verse 15, it says, At the end of the ten days, now they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. You know, as you look at that, there's no reason they should have been healthier. They could have been the same. But again, that's God's intervention. When you put God first, he takes care of all the rest, right? They, They said to put us to the test and watch what God does. And God did it. And he'll do the exact same thing for us as we put him first. See, this is a matter of discipleship. And Babylon was into, into discipleship just like we are in the kingdom of God. See, look on the screen here for a moment. Discipleship, either for Christ or the world, and you could say that happens today, involves these three things. Our identity, our desires, and our knowledge. What is the world doing today to people? Well, they're trying to disciple their identity. They're trying to change their desires, change their knowledge. Wanting to revolve around, well, you know, you learned that in Sunday school that that was bad, but that's not bad. Oh, you know, the Bible has it wrong here, and you can't believe that stuff. And, you know, you got to go with who you think you feel like you are. Not who God made you are. You, you go with your feelings. See, as a Christian, we want to know who are we in Christ. Our identity, we want to see from the Lord. Our desires, we want to make sure that our desires please Him. That means obeying Him, saying no to temptations. And our knowledge, that means we're renewing our mind. We're learning the things of God through the Word of God. Let's keep going. Verse 17. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. So we see, again, God's involvement there. God gave them this. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. You see the favor of God here on his life. Well, here's number four. That we need to seek God for favor, wisdom, understanding, and spiritual revelation. We can do that. He is no respecter of persons. When you need wisdom, you need understanding, ask him for it. I really believe as Christians that are in the marketplace, that we're in the, we're in the workplace, we should be the best employees in our departments, the best employees in our companies. We should be the ones that stand out like, man, uh, somebody could say, I don't agree with their faith, but boy, are they a good employee. 
They show up on time. They work hard. They don't get caught up in all the politics of the, of the office. They, they seem to be a, such a hard worker. They're dependable. They're trustworthy. They're a person of integrity. Unfortunately, I know business owners who have heard this out of their mouth over the years saying, I would never hire a professing born-again Christian. Because they said they're some of the worst workers. They're lazy sometimes. They, they, they wanna, if they know they have a Christian boss, they want to almost like take advantage of that relationship, and they don't want to work as hard because it's a Christian boss. It's almost like, well, you're doing me a, I'm doing you a favor by just being here. And they cut corners and spend time doing other stuff. No, we need, we need that extra wisdom, and, and uh, we need just stand out like Daniel did. Look at Romans 12, 2. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of you want God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? Do you know that's not automatic? That just doesn't come? That comes as we renew our mind and we don't become like the world. We have to set apart ourselves from the world. Remember we already read that Jesus said, sanctify them by their truth. Your, your word is truth. We are set apart as we get to know the word of God. And that's why I, w- I want to highlight something for a moment. We have something called one-on-one discipleship. And from time to time, I'll bring it up and share it with you. I want to make it available to you. We have mentors who are willing to mentor you. Let's say you're one who says, man, I don't really know the basics of the Christian faith. I don't really know enough. Well, we have 10 lessons. The pastors of this church, we wrote this material. 10 lessons where there's questions in here through the basics of the Christian faith where you can look up the answers in the Bible, and then you meet with a mentor to go over it. And so where you can ask questions. And I know I've taken different people through it, and most of the time when we talk, We'll go through things that are even beyond what's written in the book. We'll talk about other things that come up. But this is a great way, a very practical way. We also have groups. We have a group starting called Think Like Jesus. Maybe you'd rather be in a group instead of a one-on-one. One-on-one discipleship. Groups. I don't care. You just need a plan for how are you growing in your knowledge of the Lord. Some of you have been a, a Christian for a long time, and you know a lot of stuff. Why don't you be a mentor? Sign up to be a mentor. Mentor a a younger person in the Lord, somebody that's trying to learn. What we do is, you know, all you have to do is go onto our website under Connect, then go down and look to Discipleship, and there's a section there if you would like to sign up to be a a disciple. It's a simple little form. Or if you want to be a mentor, you can can find out information on how to be a mentor. And what we do is kind of like a a dating service. (laughs) We're matching people up. Except ours is male with male, female with female. And uh, we even look at approximate age differences. We look at like where you live at and so forth. And we wanted to, we wanted to build a relationship where when we match people up, they, hopefully they have some commonality and so forth. But it's, it's a great program. But again, there, we want to take excuses away from people. Say, well, I just don't know. I don't know about things. I mean, you're going to learn about your identity in Christ. You're going to learn about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're going to learn just some great, valuable things. Yeah, I won't cover every topic, but you're going to know so much more after going through it. Strongly encourage you, one-on-one discipleship or the Think Like Jesus class. 
Let's finish up our chapter here. Verse 18. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, so we know that was three years from what we learned earlier, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. I wonder why. God was with him, right? In verse 21, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. King Cyrus was a king of the Medo-Persians that took over Babylon. In other words, Daniel served for 70 years. Kings came and went. Daniel remained because of his faithfulness to the Lord. And God was protecting him, even in the ungodly culture that he was in. So here's our, our last point for today, and that is respect and obey authority. But here's the important caveat, without compromising faith in Christ. We never obey authority as we compromise we, we want to obey and respect authority, but don't compromise our faith. And there will be times when we may have to say no to man because I'm saying yes to God. But we can do that in a way. You see it that Daniel was able to do it. And I, I think of this verse here. I could have picked out some other ones, but Romans 13 says it so clearly. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Pretty important verses, right? We don't want to bring judgment upon ourselves. God's the one who instituted authority. We want to obey and be respectful of authority, but never compromise their faith as a result of doing it. What you saw in Daniel's life is he was, he was very gentle and kind. He requested politely. God gave him favor. He, he helped him with the test. And you see, not only that was, now he's 10 times uh, wiser than the guys that the king did have. Now, I'm going to transition just for a moment, and then we're going to close. Uh, today we're doing a baptism. Some of you, I know we had about 40 people that have signed up to be baptized. I just want to talk about baptism for a moment. Baptism does not save us, right? We are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. But what baptism is, it's a public declaration to others. That's why it's never private. It's a public declaration to others that I am a follower of Jesus. I identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. And so when you're under the water, it's a picture of the burial, the death. But when you come out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection. That's why we, we fully immerse, unless there's some medical reason why we can't do that. Then we'll pour a bucket over you. I've been informed the water is close to 90 degrees, so you don't have to worry about the cold. And uh, some of you may, we, we had 10, 10 people in November decide to get baptized that didn't even plan it when we had our last one at the church. I don't know, being that it's cold today, may not get... 10 extra people that want to. But if you do, we'll have some towels out there for you, okay? But here's what baptism is. It's symbolic 
of our relationship with the Lord. We do it as believers. I've had people ask, how old is old enough to get baptized? And I would just say this. Your child needs to understand the gospel, have personally received Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they, want to des- they desire to be baptized, okay? It can't be done as a too small a child where they don't understand. With our own kids, they were about seven to nine years of age when they got baptized. I think we've seen probably the youngest be about maybe age five. You get below that, they don't fully understand. They might be going through it, and then later they're going to feel like, ah, I don't really understand it. I'm going to need to get rebaptized. Again, it doesn't save us. We don't baptize babies because you don't find that in Scripture. What the Bible does tell us is to believe and be baptized. Jesus was baptized. He, bapt- he was baptized as an example for us. And so that's why we baptize. And at the end of the service, we'll be out at the playground. And uh, we will have those that want to get baptized share a quick little, you know, 10-second testimony, 15-second, real quick, and then we'll be baptizing you. Now, as we get ready to close in prayer, I want to say this, is that uh, many of you may not necessarily be like what Jesus prayed at the beginning. In other words, you're you're of the world, where Jesus said, they're not of the world. But maybe the world has crept in. Maybe the world has control of you. Maybe your, your desires are so much like the world, you can't tell you different than somebody who's not a believer. And this is an opportunity for you to take a stand for Jesus Christ and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to make some changes in my life. I need to repent of my sin. That means turn from it. It starts mentally. I know that Jesus died on that cross for my sins. I want that forgiveness. Others of you say, man, I am a believer in Jesus, but man, I'm just really struggling. I I feel like the world's beating me down. I don't feel like I have victory in the world. I pray that there's some things that we've talked about today that maybe will help you. For some of you, maybe your home's totally out of control. The kids are in control or you're in control, but Christ is not. And I'm just going to say, maybe you need to reevaluate and make some changes in your own home, how you're doing parenting-wise. But let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we uh, wrap up chapter 1 here, Lord, we're just so mindful how you worked in each and every one of these situations. We pray that you'd work in our lives as well. Lord, help us to be in the world but not of it. Help us to receive our identity in Christ. Help us, Lord, to submit our desires to be pleasing and obedient to you. Lord, help us to disciple our kids, to know and to follow Jesus. Lord, help us to truly be disciples of you where we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Lord, also help us as we interact with different authority figures that we can be respectful but not compromise our faith in you. And I pray, Lord, if there's any who are here in this service or maybe watch online who need to rededicate their life back to you or need to pray to turn their life over and make you the Lord of their life, I pray at the end of this service that they'll call the number on the screen or they'll come down front so that we can pray for them, they can turn their life over and truly have you be the Lord of their life. So we pray this now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Would you stand as we get ready to close with a worship song? Let's sing together, You are the Lord. I pray he is the Lord of your life. And again, when I dismiss you, if he's not the Lord of your life, make your way down here. We'd love to talk to you, answer questions you might have, pray with you. If you have other prayer needs, we'll have a prayer team here that'd be glad to talk to you. Also a reminder that you're welcome to take some of the prayer slips in the back or in the front here. Take them with you, pray over those. Uh, If you need the the, uh, wristband, Jesus First, remember they're out here in our information center. You want to get into a group? We got people out there. Be glad to talk to you. Go over by the elevator. If you are new and you're here visiting with us, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. You can make your way over to the information center as well. If you have any questions, you want some information about the church, out past our commons is where our playground is, where we're going to be doing a baptism in about 10, 15 minutes. And so uh, it's going to be exciting to, to watch people getting baptized and giving their quick testimony. And the last thing is, I just thank you for your generous giving to the work of the Lord here. You can give online. We have our wooden boxes by the door where you can put tithes, offerings in there. And thank you for giving to the work of the Lord. So we can do what we're doing here. You know, every week we see people getting saved. A couple weeks ago, before service even started, I got to pray with one lady that gave her life to the Lord before the service even started. And another one of our pastors did it for another lady. People are getting saved before we even services even started. That's only God. Amen? So praise the Lord. God is sending people here, people that need a relationship with Him. And that's why we need more of you, more mature believers that are willing to step up and maybe lead groups or disciple, mentor others. And so you all have a role. You all have a place. Amen? God bless you, and uh, have a great rest of your cold Sunday. <laughs>